I am very excited to continue in this series. If you didn't hear me mention it earlier, we are taking the church through a series that we've called Unqualified and how God uses the weak people. Uh, This last week, we had finished up in the series talking about Mary and how specifically Mary kind of stands apart, if you will, from most other people throughout Scripture. If you can just bring me down a little bit. And how Mary and Jesus really are one of the two unique people in Scripture to pray a prayer like this, Lord, let your will be done. It's a posture that not many people take. Typically, when the Lord speaks to us or we feel the Lord calling us to do something, uh, what what ends up happening oftentimes is, is we doubt or we question or we stumble our way into doing what God is calling us to do. Am I still a little too loud for you guys? Just want to check in and make sure. All right. But how this week we're specifically going to be looking at a different person, someone who stands apart in some ways in the Old Testament of Scripture. So before I jump into that, I'm going to go ahead and say another prayer. And for those of you that might not know, this is another opportunity for us to to once again fix our eyes on Jesus and to prepare our hearts for the message that he is going to hopefully speak through me with. So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this time. We thank you that we get to open up your word and explore its pages to hopefully, Father, help transform us, help guide us, so that we may live lives that are worthy of the call. Father, I pray that as I speak today that your Holy Spirit would use me, that we would all have ears to hear the words that you are saying and eyes to see the things that you are doing. We pray these things in your holy and precious name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. If I were to list these things out to you, I think most of you would agree that this kind of person is unqualified. Rejected by his own people, married into the wrong family, started his ministry at 80, had a speech impediment, took justice oftentimes into his own hand, and was angered. That's not the kind of characteristics you would think would be somebody who would be called to do a great thing. But those that list that I just read aptly describes the person that we are talking about today. And maybe some of you already caught on, but the person that we are talking about today is none other than Moses. You see, Moses is an important person in biblical history because Moses was responsible for bringing justice and being able to to free the people of Israel, free the Hebrew people from the Egyptians where they were slaves. If you didn't know, specifically, the Jewish people to this day look at Moses as one of the most prominent figures 
of their faith. Because he was able to do great things through the hand and the power of God. Yet Moses on paper, and if you actually look at his life, seemed totally unqualified to do what God was calling him to do. So just a little bit of a context to to hopefully help everybody out and get everybody to speed on, on what happened and what led up to the time of Moses. We learn about Moses specifically in the book of Exodus. So in the Old Testament of the Bible, it goes Genesis and then the next book is Exodus. So it goes from Genesis to Exodus. And what happened during that time uh, leading up to Exodus is the Jewish people ended up moving many of them to the land of Egypt. This happened through the story of Joseph. Now, once they were in the land of Egypt, scriptures tell us that things were going pretty well for them. But eventually, generation after generation went by, and the Egyptian people started to grow in discontentment over the Hebrew people. So much so that they decided that what they were going to do is they were going to oppress the Hebrew people and turn them from free people into slaves. So they eventually start taking the Hebrew people and putting them into forced labor. Exodus 1.16, and I'll just show you a quick timeline on, on the screen there. Exodus 1.16 Pharaoh ends up ordering the midwives of Egypt to literally kill out all of the Hebrew boys. So if there's any young boys standing in the room, this was an awful thing. Once they refused to do this, what ended up happening next is, is in Exodus 1.22, they issued an order for all the boys to be killed by the throwing into the Nile River. Now, what's ironic about that is, is the Nile River, and I'll show you a picture of it on the screen here, was this massive body of water. If you didn't know, the Nile River stands apart from all other rivers, really, because it is the longest river in the world. The length of the Nile River goes over 4,000 feet long, and at its widest point, it's 1.7 miles wide. And this river in the Egyptian culture would have been seen as something life-giving. In fact, there was some worship tied around the Nile River, but yet in this moment in history, the Egyptians were using this river for the Hebrew people as a river of death. And they were ordering these young boys to be thrown in the river because they were afraid about men being able to rise up against their oppressor. Eventually, we see in Exodus 2, 3, that this young person is born who we call Moses. And Moses' mother, with great love over her child, decides to, in secret, have this baby and then protect this baby by not allowing anybody to know of this child and it being born. But eventually what would happen 
is that it would come to a point where, where she realized somebody was going to find out. So she crafted a basket and then put a substance around the basket to help it float and then hid the basket in the middle of reeds in the river to hide the child and hopefully spare the child's life. But as many of you know, what ended up happening was, was pretty remarkable. And Pharaoh's daughter herself ends up finding this child and eventually adopting this child into her own family. This child is the life that we are going to be looking at today. Moses. We don't know much about his childhood other than this story of him being put in the river. But at Exodus 2.11, it really kicks off Moses' life. So this is where we're going to, to officially start looking and engaging a little deeper with Scripture. So Exodus 2.11, which will be up on the screen for you, says this, One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. Okay. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. So here we see Moses looking out and seeing his own people being beat. So obviously something happened within his childhood that, that kind of marked him or, or someone told him that even though you are growing up in the house of Pharaoh, really you truly are a Hebrew person. And for whatever reason, later on in these years, this, Moses is about 40 here, he decides to finally look out at his own people and what does he see? He sees their oppression. He sees their hard labor. Hard labor here is actually in the Hebrew, it's, it's, it's this word silvat, and it means to be heavy laden, to drag oneself along. And we kind of miss it a little bit in the English, but what it also is trying to communicate is Moses is not only seeing them burdened in this situation, but he's feeling they're their not just their physical burden, but their emotional burden as well. So because of that, we, we see in this moment that Moses, in some ways, is having compassion over this situation of seeing an Egyptian oppressing a Hebrew person. And for maybe what might be one of the few times, at least what we see in Scripture of his life, he feels connected to this situation. Let's see what happens next. Verse 12 says, Looking this way, and that, seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Now, I want to stop there for a second because I think this scripture is very important and is a defining moment for why I believe Moses was unqualified. You see, he obviously has some compassion over the situation that's going on. 
But that compassion leads him to what? It leads him to act out in violence and take justice into his own hand and kill this Egyptian person. Bible scholars are are pretty divided here on whether this was considered a sin or not. Scripture seems pretty silent on the issue, on whether Moses was sinning in this moment or if he was honoring the Lord. We know from Scripture at the very least that he acted out in this way because he wanted his own people to realize that God was going to use Moses to rescue them. Which tells you what? It tells you that, that there was a call on Moses' life to bring about justice. But it also tells you that Moses was most likely in this moment operating out of the flesh. Why do I think that? You see, God can call us to do things in our lives. He can call you to, 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 to have a specific calling. So like, for, for instance, for me, maybe it's, it's pastoring, right? And really, it's, it's, it's more than just a vocation. It's a call to be able to shepherd people, to, 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 to teach them the Scriptures, to help lift them up and encourage them in their faith and build them up. That's what I believe a part of my call is, is in life. Maybe He's put a call on your life to be a person of prayer, to, to be an advocate for those that don't have a voice, to, to whatever. Be someone of hospitality where you're opening up to your home to people who need a place to call home. God has put a call on each and every single one of our lives, whether you're young or whether you're old. God has a specific call on your life to fulfill a certain purpose. But so often what ends up happening is is we tend to try to fulfill the purpose and the call of our life through our own strength, right? And through doing that, what often ends up happening is, is we end up creating issues for ourselves or issues for others. An exa- another example out of that in Scripture would be Abraham, right? God called Abraham to have many descendants, but yet his old age, it seemed, prevented him from being able to do that. So what did Abraham do? He tried to force that outcome by violating the covenant with his wife and sleeping with another woman. And I think in a similar way, this is exactly what's happening with Moses here. God has this call on his life to bring about justice, to fight against what is going on in Egypt, but yet somehow what is happening in this situation is he is taking this into his own hands. So while we don't know for a fact whether this was considered a sin or not, it seems at the very least 
that Moses was trying to operate out of his own strength and his own interpretations versus what God was calling him to do. I like this quote from from an, uh, an, an author at Christianity Today, J.B. Kachilla, writes, we can't fulfill God's will through the strength of our own flesh. If only, it would only cause more problems. See, that's what happens when we try to fulfill things through our own strength. It is it ends up calling more causing more problems. But you see, I think there's two crucial items that we cannot miss within this passage. One of them is, is that be careful when you are trying to fight for justice. Be careful when you are trying to fight for justice. And we do have these on the screen for you. We can try to advocate for something, but we could do that in the wrong way. I don't want to be overly critical right now of our Christian brothers and sisters, but I've seen this happen where somebody will put the justice and the item that they are fighting for above Christ himself. So that what ends up happening is is they're trying to fight for a certain outcome, but they're not doing it through the strength and the power of Jesus so that that item becomes the focus rather than Jesus himself. Or in other ways, when we see injustice, we, we decide to fight injustice through the same negative outcomes and outlooks that maybe we're trying to deal away with seen this happen often, where somebody ends up becoming the very thing that they hate in the pursuit of bringing, bringing out better ends. We need to be careful with that. The second thing is, is are you a different person when no one is looking? You know, notice in Scripture how it said that he looked around specifically what was what was said there in scripture that was that he was looking this way and that seeing no one that should tell you something there and i think that should be something that you apply to your own life are you a different person when no one is watching you now i'm not talking about just when you're on the highway and someone cuts you off <laughs> Because we all can be different people in that moment. <laughs> but I mean when your internet browser is set on private, when you're on vacation and nobody knows who you are, when you're in a hotel room and maybe staying somewhere alone, when you're in your home and it's just you, or maybe even in the privacy of your own mind and thoughts, are you a different person in those moments? And the truth is, is most of us are in some way or another, right? One of the beautiful things of church is it creates hopefully positive pressure in your life to be a better person. But one of the things that we need to be aware of and we need to think about 
is, is there an inconsistency in our lives? Because oftentimes when we are alone, we are acting out the true natures of, of, of what we feel in our hearts and how we want to live. You know, obviously we've, we've seen through the years men and women of faith fall. And most notably, this past year was, was obviously one of what I would have considered a hero in my faith, Ravi Zacharias. And many of you probably already know some of the stories behind that and how he fell. There can't be a duplicitous nature to our lives where we're one person when we're at church or another person when we're at home. We need to be consistent and have what Scripture would, would call us to is integrity. I like how C.S. Lewis writes it. He says this, Integrity is doing the right thing even when no one is watching. I remember when I was younger, one of the life lessons that was really put in my, uh, my life through my father was, was um, we would get hurricanes in Florida, and oftentimes what would happen in Florida is the screen enclosures for pools would fall down and they would collapse. And I calculated that I could get 33 cents a pound. And that the average home had around a 600 to 1,000 pounds or more of weight. So I would get you know, a good chunk of money for someone that was just a teenager in high school. So I would go around and knock on doors and say, hey, can I pick up your screen enclosure as long as I can keep the aluminum? And they would say, yeah, sure. Well, I remember in one particular day, I was working on a house, and I was pulling out the screen enclosures, and I needed a crowbar to be able to, to, to jostle out the bolts that were on the ground. And I remember there was just this strip of bolts that I just couldn't get out because they were so heavy. And I, I, I said to myself, well, I'm doing the job for free anyway, so I'll just leave. And my dad, who took pity on me that night, because I probably got more, in on my, more than I bargained for, ended up helping me. And he said, no, we're not going to leave this job until we do it right. Because when you say you're doing a job, do a job. And it doesn't matter if someone's watching you or not, you do it right. And in that moment, I just remember being so proud and impressed of my dad that he would say something like that to me. But that spiritual lesson still is consistent with what we see in Scripture, right? That we as people need to be people of integrity, that we can't be living two different lives. This is why it's so important, especially for people that are in ministry, like, like pastors, to be able to set up good boundaries for their lives. So they're not one person up on stage and then someone else total, totally different to their families. As often as the case is, has been, God wants us to be people of integrity. But I think in order to be able to do this right and to do it well, we need this key ingredient. And that is we need to trust in God. Of all else. And that's my big point, my big truth point for today. 
Trust in God above all else. Notice how I didn't say trust in God and no one else. Because there are men and women in our lives that we should trust. That should, and we should be trustworthy people. I want my wife and my, my son to be able to think of me as a good and trustworthy husband and father. I want my church family here to think of me as a good and trustworthy fellow brother in Christ and pastor. And you should desire the same for your life, to be a good and trustworthy co-worker, a good and trustworthy grandma and grandpa, a good and trustworthy neighbor. But ultimately, we have to fix our trust on who? On God. Whether we realize it or not, there are times in our lives where we trust our own intuitions or our own feelings or maybe what somebody else had told us more than what God has to say about something. This is why I think we've seen in some, in some parts and aspects of the church a falling away. I love this scripture from Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to Him and He will make your what? Your paths straight. When we trust in God, our paths are straight. The situation around us might not feel straight, In fact, sometimes the situation around us can look like it's getting worse. But if we remain focused and we remain fixed in trusting our Lord, then we can know that the journey and the pathway that we are on is the best one for us. Something that one of my grandparents used to tell me is, is the safest place that you can be is in the center of God's will. And that's so true. Because what that means is, is even if you're facing persecution, even if your situation looks grim, even if you feel like your family is falling apart, if you are fixing your eyes on Jesus and allowing Him to be the Lord of your life and trusting in Him and yielding yourself to Him, then what that means is regardless of whatever situation is around you in life, you are on the path that God wants you to be on. Moses, after he killed this person, thought that what was going to happen is is he was in the affections of his fellow Hebrew men. But what ended up happening was instead of him winning the affections of his fellow Hebrew men, what Pharaoh ended up finding out and he started fearing for his own life and it turned out that the Hebrew people still rejected him. So he runs away. He ends up fleeing to to a land called Midian. 
And there, he ends up marrying and starting a totally different life. Eventually, God would have this miraculous encounter with Moses and would speak to him at the burning bush. And I love what the Lord tells Moses because you see decades and decades and decades have gone by since this moment where Moses tried to bring about his own justice to now. And you would think that at this point, Moses is probably feeling like my story's over. I've tried to live a good life, and I failed at what God was calling me to do. But listen to what happens in Scripture. It says, the Lord said to him, we gave human beings their, or who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Why is God saying this to Moses? Well, the reason why he's saying this to Moses is because, as I said before, Moses ends up fleeing, and in that, in that, that journey outward from Egypt, what Moses is literally doing is he's running away from his calling to bring about justice. And here, as an 80-year-old man, God is calling him and saying, your story is not done yet. He might have felt like an outsider, rejected by his Hebrew people and by the Egyptian people. He might have felt old, as an old man now in his 80s. He might have felt like I failed because I married somebody that I shouldn't have married, that was outside of my culture. And he also might have felt like an unqualified failure because even in this moment when God is calling him to do this, he says, I can't do it because I don't speak well. He probably had some form of a speech impediment. So even though all of those things around him made it seem like he was unqualified, God was still calling him to make a difference. And what I think that can encourage each and every single one of us in this room to be able to see and experience, hopefully for ourselves, is that God can use you regardless of the things that you look at in your life and say, I have failed. I mean, here you literally have a person that is in their 80s. For most of us, that would mean we were preparing for the end of our lives and not the beginning of our ministry. But God was calling him at this age to do what God was going to do. And I love this because it means that you can never fully get away from the calling that you have in your life. You might fail. There might even be a pattern of failure. You might even be at more towards that 80 age of your life. And you might think back as you take survey of your life and say, man, I've, I've let the opportunity pass. But the truth is, is that if God is calling you to do something, then he can use you at what, regardless of your circumstances or situations, wherever you are at. Amen? This is why even for, for people 
who have made grave mistakes and maybe have ended up in a situation where, where they're in, in prison, God could still use those people to fulfill the call that He has on their life. There is never an opportunity or a moment that God can't use you regardless of your past. The story might look a little different, but God could still use you. You know, I know for some of you, especially some of you that are a little older in age, you've entered into a season where you feel like you might not have as much energy. You might not feel like you can, you know, do the backflips you used to be able to do. But God can still use you to do wonderful things. You might have more time on your hands. You might be able to dedicate yourself more to to prayer and to reaching out to people, to writing notes, to loving people, to thinking of different and creative ways to be able to help make God known to the world. God uses the unqualified. But when... The thing that's needed with that is the unqualified need to trust in God. You see, if you feel like you are unqualified, all you need to be able to do to fix that in your life is to simply trust in God. I wish I had multiple weeks to be able to hit on Moses' life even further, because it's worth it. But what would eventually happen is, is after this moment, Moses would go back, and he would go back with Aaron and, and, and talk to Pharaoh himself. And eventually he would lead the Hebrew people out of Egypt and be able to bring about their freedom. And he would start them on a journey to the promised land where thousands and thousands of Hebrew people are finally liberated for the first time. And it wouldn't be an easy journey, but Moses would be the leader of all of these people despite his issues. And really, it's a powerful testimony of how God can use those who are willing. And I hope, I hope that through today's message, you can realize for yourself that God can use you as well. That all we need to do is have a willing heart and trust in Him above all else. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for being able to use us despite our unqualifications that we have, despite feeling totally unqualified at times. I know I feel unqualified at times, Lord, to do the things that You are calling me to do. I know that that is a story for many of us because we can point to times where we have tried to plan out our steps and we've tried to do certain things and it didn't go the way that we want. 
And because of that, we carry that as a guilt and as a burden. But I pray, Lord, that especially during today, that we can let go of those things that we feel hold us back and instead replace it with our trust in you. Lord, you are trustworthy. You are worthy of our trust. And I pray, Father, that you just allow all of us today to work that out in a way that causes us to focus on you when we're tempted to focus on something else. I ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.